0: Well, this is it, and here we go with another great episode of Inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Subalero and I am flying solo today as Kelly Grayson is on the EMS World Tour, assisting with the development and education of the next generation of EMS provider. We look forward to having him back. But we are getting to the close, close to the end of the year, and the end of the year show is you know just coming up. So we appreciate everything we're listening to. We'll be taking our two-week break and we'll come back right after the first of the year, but have I got a show for you and uh, I'm going to introduce our guest here in a minute. You can see them, see him there on the screen. He is uh, looking lively and great as it was, but I'm going to take us back to May because it's taken us this long to get this guest on our show in May to advance the recommendations of the 2019 national EMS scope of practice model and the 2021 national EMS education standard, the commission on accreditation of allied health education programs CAHEP they plan to launch a voluntary programmatic accreditation of advanced emergency medical technician by January 1 2025 and the committee on accreditation for educational program uh programs uh which is COAMPS is going to be the one who's responsible for making that happen and for ensuring that all that falls into play and we're going to talk with the executive director. Let's just bring him in here. The executive director for the committee on accreditation for the EMS profession, Dr. George Hatch. Doc, I want to thank you for joining us as a guest on Inside EMS.
1: Hey, Chris. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks thanks again. I'm hoping that we can, we can get the message out about what we're doing.
0: I mean you were the busiest guy to get on this show. I was talking to Pope I was talking to Pope Francis the other day and oh, I was man. like, "Man, that Dr. Hatch is hard to talk to." He was like, "Oh, don't tell me about it." Of course he had an Italian accent, but uh, Yeah,
1: no no no. No, uh, I, I think we we missed one another at EMS World in New we Orleans. Did. Yep. And uh, yeah, we just we've had a lot of stuff going on with board meetings and just just a lot of things, but again, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure
0: to be here with you today. But I think that it's really such a great topic, regardless of when we talk about it. Uh, it really is timeless. But I think the first thing that I want to hit you with, Doc, is what is CoAMPS? And and what do you guys do? I mean, for the people who are listening to the show that may not understand the importance of the organization, uh, what is it that you guys do?
1: All right. Great question. So CoAMSP, that's the short acronym for the Committee on Accreditation of Educational Programs, for the emergency medical services professions, plural. And this organization, Chris, has been around since 1978. I don't know about you, I'm a lifer. I think we're both lifers in EMS. We both used to have uh, darker hair and it was thicker. But back in the, yeah, yeah, like, I don't know. Mine's getting thin. But, But back in the day, when I went through an EMT class in 1977, this organization was chartered in 1978. So it's been around since the beginning almost, of EMS. And some pretty smart people back in the day put it together. And, you know, programs submitted themselves to this voluntarily over the many decades. And in January of 2013, after a lot of national discussion at the paramedic level, you know, everybody moved forward to, to, to get their paramedic program accredited. And we're still doing that. We're, we're close to 800 paramedic programs around the country, and we have one in Saudi Arabia that has submitted themselves to the process. It's it's a voluntary process. I say voluntary in that you have peers that are are fellow educators or people that are in the education business, EMS physicians that come out and actually put eyes on the program. I mean, there's a lot to it. You study yourself, you submit a document that is called your self-study but the COA is really made up of 12 different sponsor organizations and two public members. But each of those 12 sponsor organizations sends two people to represent them, uh, the interests of their particular organization. So we've got the American Academy of Pediatrics, and we've got the American College of Surgeons, and we have the National Registry of EMTs, and the International Association of Fire Chiefs, and the IAFF, the firefighters. So we have Pretty much most of the folks that have been involved in, in some aspect of EMS or intersects with EMS, those folks are at our board table. And we have two public board members that represent the public, right? They, they want to be well served by the people that are coming out of schools uh, at all levels of EMS. So that's kind of what COA is.
0: Yeah, really cool. So, I mean, you heard the setup, Doc. As we were going through this, right? You know, we're talking about the national EMS uh, scope of practice model. You know, we're talking about the national EMS education standards, and certainly now this move towards this voluntary accreditation for AEMT. What's what's AEMT defined as? I mean, what do we call an AEMT?
1: Well, an advanced great another great question. An advanced EMT is really not a basic. EMT or an EMT, as the nomenclature says, it is someone that has the EMT skill set and knowledge, but you're adding on some skills and some knowledge to that and allowing them to practice at an advanced life support level in, in many states or in many, many communities. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's used pretty widely here in this part of the country where I am in the South. It's used in different parts of the country, but pretty pretty widely used in, in our part of the nation. And I have to say, based on the information that the National Registry who administers the exam, uh, based on those results, you only got about 56% on average, 56% of the people taking that test uh, are successful on the test. And I think probably one of the reasons is there's a lot of pathophysiology that goes along with that. It's not just an EMT plus, right? It's, you've got to have some knowledge uh, about why you do things and how things are going to happen. It's not just, Hey, give me an IV needle. I'm going to thread an IV and I'm going to run fluid into somebody. And I'm not going to just give this one bolus of medication without knowing uh, what are the effects? What are the contraindications to this? When should I not use this? When, when could I use this? Um, Same thing with airway management. So, so, so it is, an advanced level practitioner. But again, I think it's widely misunderstood.
0: You know, I think that that's a great overview. I mean, we go back to the days of basics and intermediates and and paramedics. But now when we think about what the future of EMS is going to look like, is it really going to be a lot of paramedics running in ALS vehicles. And, you know, we talk about community paramedicine and, and you know, the different types of things that's going on. So as we now talk about increasing the scope of an advanced EMT, this is really going to fit in nice. But I think the question that I want to ask is, why now? Why make A- um, AEMT an accreditation or, you know, why make this change now? What, what's the thought?
1: Well, I think, I think it's actually a time that, that is sort of lined up the stars, if you will, have sort of lined up. I know people are going to say, well, you know, people had this all planned out and I'd love to be able to tell you, yeah, we had this planned out, but it really didn't work out that way. I guess what I would say is number one, this is voluntary and I was called to a meeting of the national EMS stakeholders that, that represented in 2018, the group that was working on the the update of the National EMS Scope of Practice. And at that report out session, I was asked, you know, as of listening to to the reports, I was asked by the committee, if we were to insert a date into this document to ask for a move towards national accreditation for the advanced EMT, do you think you could do it, number one? And number two, do you think you could do it by January 1 of 2025? And my thought about it, my answer at the time to the group was, I don't know if we could do it. We have to take this back to our board of directors. We'll have to talk about it. And we've got several years to look at that. And so that's exactly what we did. They put that date into the document. Okay. We came back, took it to our board. Our board said, let's let's look at this. And we put together a work group of board members and staff. We actually held a meeting two and a half days. We came up with some infrastructure. You know, we were kind of building on that. And then everybody knows what happened. COVID hit and the world derailed for about three years. And so three years ticked by. We're back into it, actively engaged here in 2023. We had another meeting, two and a half days. We got farther along in the discussion as that date was looming. And and really, you know, we came back to our board with a plan. We had a timeline. We kind of backed into the date and said, if that's the date, and we were going to offer this, what are the things, what are the steps that we would have to do? So we've, we've done that. And we continue to work on that and polish that. And we, we've we got some deliverables. We have, we have a timeline yeah. and we're hopeful that we could, we can, we can offer this service, but it's, it's not something that we went out looking for. And I think yeah. that's the, that's the big thing.
0: Well, I think that, you know, you guys have really set your timeline as you said, and we're in the the period right now of engaging uh stakeholders and and getting feedback and then december 4th you'll go to open comment open comments you'll close comments in january but you know you and i have used the word voluntary a couple times here mm-hmm. what about the programs that choose not to get the accreditation I and mean, what happens great. to them
1: that's a great question nothing happens to them um they they keep on doing what they're doing i mean this is there there's a i think there's a lot of things that are going on you you asked why now so i want to make sure that i close the loop on that and say why now at the time that we looked at or the national ems community looked at the paramedic level there was a movement towards getting that done and it took years for that to happen decades for that to happen they reached a point where it was it was something that the national ems community and states had to say It would take this amount of time for us to be able to get our state rules and regulations in place, but we think that we could do it by this date. So the registry at the time set that out five years in advance and said, we think that everybody could do this by January 1 of 2013. So we're not in the same time frame. We're not in the same period of, of thinking about that. But at this point, to your question, why now and what happens if I decide not to do it? The answer is each one of the states is going to have to decide whether they want to do this or not. There's no there's no cry for, for people to have to do this, but we have heard from some state EMS offices that if this were offered, they believe that their state may move in this direction. There are other states that have said, hey, we're not going to do this. If people do it, they, they do it voluntarily. And if they choose not to do it, there's no harm, no foul. I guess what I would offer as a caveat, though, is that when states are looking at this, and they have to ask themselves, what happens if my pass rate, Chris, is 20%? If I've got, you know, 20 kids in the class, and only a handful of those kids pass the National Registry exam and go on to get certified, what's wrong? Is it all the student's fault? Could it be something to do with our educational program? How long are we going to allow that to go on? And that's not a question I can answer. That's a question that each state each community is going to have to answer. But right now there's no standardization.
0: Yeah. I think that one of the things too, is that that kind of weeds itself out. We know the successful programs, even before we went to accreditation of paramedic programs. And I was one of the guys back in the old days who was teaching paramedic class until the accreditation process, you know, came about. And uh, But, you know, those programs work themselves out because the students aren't going to go to a place where only 20 percent are passing. But, you know, I got to imagine, Doc, that this is just like a paramedic accreditation. You know, what happens if you voluntarily voluntarily apply for accreditation, but you don't meet the guidelines? Yeah, it's a process, Chris. And and I think like
1: anything we saw at the paramedic level and we continue to see programs that come forward. The first thing that they have to satisfy is something called sponsorship. And we have programs that are sponsored primarily in community, technical, junior colleges or universities. So 78% of our paramedic programs live there. I would tell you similarly, a large percentage of these programs live in academic institutions, whether they're already operating a paramedic program, and this is another layer that they offer, or they just offer EMT and AEMT classes they live primarily in academic institutions but there're also government institutions EMS agencies right city city or county EMS agencies or city or county fire departments those are also programs that that offer you know offer programs based on this survey hospital based programs offer this and you may have you may have some private for profit programs that are out there those may be the ones that unless they're institutionally accredited They may have some difficulty meeting the sponsorship requirement initially, but they could go out there and meet that if if that's something that they choose to do. They're kind of a parallel
0: process. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, so 47 states recognize a a national registry. We have to sit and take those exams. Is this something, is there a plan to eventually make this part of the, Testing process as well. I mean, I don't know if you have any insight on that. I know you can't speak for NREMT, N- but any insight on that at all?
1: Yeah, I absolutely want to make clear. I I don't speak for the registry and Bill Ciphers and their board. You know, will have to decide at some point. I I don't think that there's any appetite for that now. I mean, it's not been any part of the discussions that I've heard. But I do think that over time, as we look at this and Programs voluntarily submit themselves to this. We're going to be able to start looking at programs that have no record. And if they had pass rates that were not good and they've submitted themselves to the process and the process is designed to continually improve and evaluate their performance, then you should start to see measurement increases in terms of they've got success in terms of the graduation uh, on the registry exam. Their students should be employable. and. You shouldn't start with 10 people and end up with two. So those three metrics, do they pass a test? Can they get a job? And what is your attrition and retention? Those three things, we can measure that. And hopefully programs that submit themselves to this, just like at the paramedic level, are going to see their results increase
0: over time. A
1: lot of people go, oh, no, I don't think that that's going to make a difference. Well, it is making a difference. It may be incremental, but it is making a difference.
0: Interesting. You know, Doc, there's probably people out there that are listening to this that are now a little bit nervous who may be in, you know, advanced EMT programs. I mean, how does this change or impact those students who are, you know, going through the program now or maybe going through the program in the next three months? Well,
1: great question again. Uh, it it has no impact on that. Uh, first off, we, we have not completed the requirement, you know, all the different things that we have in our, you know, battery of 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 elements to get completed before we move to the direction of saying okay we're ready to accept an application. Even if even if somebody started an AEMT class in January of 2024, we're not even if we if if it goes this direction and the board affirms this completely, we're not going to accept our first application until January 1 of 2025. So I think kids that are either enrolled in a program right now or thinking about enrolling over the next year not going to have any impact. Now, what I would say is if a student was going to be looking at a program in 2025, does the program submit themselves to it? And the answer is, again, it's going to be a no harm, no foul. If the program subsequently does not gain accreditation through KHEP or a letter of review from us to move their program through it, unless the state says these kids can't take the test, it's Again, not gonna. It's not gonna yeah. harm them.
0: Interesting. So, is there any thought? You know. So, I got to think there's over five hundred programs right now in the United States that are teaching AEMT. Do you guys have you projected how many you feel will do the voluntary program for accreditation?
1: Yeah, that's again a great a great point. And I think what we learned from the survey we we launched. I'm looking at the survey right here. We ended up sending out 721 surveys across the nation. We got 317 responses, a 44 percent yeah, that's a response, good response rate. rate. Yeah, I mean, most people don't take the time to fill out surveys. I I think that a large percentage of these programs are aware of the accreditation process. So two thirds uh, of the people that were surveyed, 65 percent of these people said. We believe that voluntary accreditation at the AEMT level would possibly benefit our program, and 59% of those programs are likely to submit themselves to that process. So when you look at the numbers, that, that's pretty formidable. I mean, that's several hundred programs that might voluntarily submit themselves to this sure. process.
0: And then I think it all goes to peer pressure, right? Because everybody's going to (laughs) have the gold standard program right now and accreditation. And I think that, you know, it's good that it's voluntary, but I think people are going to wind up having to come, you know, maybe even kicking and screaming because of the gold standard. But so uh, as we think about this and we think about the education standards and how they're changing, and Kelly and I have been very, very critical about the EMT and the paramedic initial education process. But do you project I mean, do you see that this could be something that EMT education moves to as well?
1: Well, that's that's a long, long way you know, away in in my personal opinion. First off, KHEP is not in a position to be able to accredit programs that are short duration. So that would be something that our board would have to decide they would take on. And this is in the future. I, I don't think there's any appetite for that at all. But but I do think that people that are at the basic level, as you indicated, they're under resourced, right? And in many cases, they are, with all due respect, and I'm one of them, okay, who came up through the ranks. I didn't have any education about education. I was teaching yeah. EMT classes, maybe much like you were at the local community college. And I I had, you know, I, I had an affinity for teaching. I liked to do it. And I had pretty good results. But I didn't have any formal education, and my program was under resourced. And I would just, I would think that many EMT courses out in the hinterlands, and there's probably ten or a dozen times more of those than there are for any AEMT or paramedic program in a community. They're going to have the least resourced program. They may not have a lot of money to do that. Their educators that are running those programs, bless their, you know, bless them. But they may not have good results. And, you know, you want, you want to set people up for success. So I, I would go back and say that it's not something that we're looking to do, number one, not anytime soon. And, and number two, I think it's going to be granular. It would be something that happens when the EMS community nationally decides it needs to happen.
0: You know, when we think about this from an organizational standpoint, and we just talked about some of the numbers that maybe 59% of the people said they would go through accreditation from an organizational standpoint, when you think about the growth and the strategic plan of what this looks like for the organization, I mean, how are you going to implement this change? I mean, are you going to have to, you know, add staff and processes and resources and, and how do you manage that? Because all of a sudden on January 1, 2025, if you're going to get 59% of those applications, how do you manage it?
1: Yeah, great. Great question. Strategically, that is something that our board of directors is looking at. In fact, we have a, we have a meeting in January in front of our board meeting where we're you know kind of looking out strategically one year, three years, five years out and saying exponentially, how much might we grow? And if we were to do that, what are the budget implications for something like that? how are we going to be able to to do that we can't do i can tell you this we can't do it with the staff that we have right now we are completely virtual and we were virtual before it was cool starting in 2007 so i've been working like this for a long time and the technology is a lot better but we can't we're we're already at a at a point with 800 programs we're pretty well we're pretty well cooking yeah. at, at the max that we can so i think we're going to have to grow and i think people People will have to be ready for what that growth looks like, not just us from a staff perspective, but I think programs that are out there, uh, they're expecting that we're going to be able to deliver those services. And we will be able to deliver those services, but it's going to come with a cost. And there are costs that are associated with the accreditation process.
0: Yeah, very interesting. And, you know, as we think about this, I mean, everybody talks about EMS growing as a profession and it's these types of things that have to happen you know, for our educational programs to be accredited, for, you know, the ability to learn an extended scope of practice, and for us as leaders in the field now to kind of change how we're going through that process of training EMTs and paramedics. Again, you know, we think about the 2019 National EMS Scope of Practice. If you've not read it, go ahead and check it out. Maybe we'll even put it in the uh, in the show notes for you to, to do that and, and for you to uh, really kind of get an understanding of what's going on. But, you know, Doc, I think my final question for you is every, just the everyday. I mean, this this show is really about two paramedics sitting in a truck talking about everything that there is to talk about inside EMS, right? But what can we do to help? I mean, what, what can our role be in this process? Because we're all complaining about education. We're all complaining about the kids that are coming out of school today. We're all complaining about, you know, our scope of practice. So now we have to be able to either pitch in or stop complaining. But what can we do to help this process?
1: Man, what a what a great great thought. I think people have to lift one another up. You got to say that this is important. I mean, if we are going to be a profession, then professions do what professions do and education is is part of that. Peer evaluation in accreditation and I don't care if you're in the public schools, you're a college or university, or you're in a hospital. They expect that there's going to be accreditation standards that go along with that. You have to have a benchmark. You're being benchmarked against yourself, right? We're not benchmarking you, uh, George's program against Chris's program. We're benchmarking it against the standard. And so if you're a program in a rural community, I have rural paramedic programs that meet the standard. I don't have to be in an urban setting like where I taught in Houston, Texas, a huge medical center, one of the largest, if not the largest in the world, to have all those resources you can meet the requirements for accreditation if you so desire and i think that's what this is about it's about a process of improvement a continual process of improvement if we're up for that then this is the this is the journey you want to be on and i think as ems professionals we have to we do have to put up or shut up right We got to say, this is not 1977 or 1978 when I went through paramedic school. It's a whole lot different. And the responsibilities are more. The requirements to get into that are more. And let me say this, that neither accreditation or taking the test is the reason for a workforce shortage. So we got to get past that too. There is a workforce shortage. Guess what? None of us had enough kids, right? I mean, we're not like our parents were, where they had more kids and- People have more choices today, and EMS may or may not be the choice that a lot of people want to make. We have to make it attractive and say, this is what you have to do to be in our profession. Um, we're ca- I'm counting on them, man. I mean, you are too. We're getting older, and right. a- at some point, we're going to be recipients of the EMS system.
0: Oh, well, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say a new hip, but yeah. <laughs> But, uh, I, think I that's- hope not. <laughs> but uh, Doc, I mean, I think that's a great place. To- I got no further questions because I think you just put a bow on that very, very uh, intelligently to say, you know, stop complaining. This is time. We got to do what we got to do. And I think it's opportunities like this that really kind of make a difference. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us uh, on Inside EMS. It took forever for you to get here, but let's not wait forever for you to come back because I think your wealth of knowledge on this accreditation process for the educational programs is really something that we have to be able to understand. We have to be able to support. We have to be able to get behind and say, you know what? I'm proud of my career field. And I think that it's programs like this, organizations like yours that are going to make that happen. Well,
1: well, Chris, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here as we move along this continuum. We're happy. I'm happy to come back on the show. If you, if you'll have me and, I'd love to talk more about it but we're we're excited about the opportunity to help programs move it to, to the next level. So, yeah. thank
0: you. And everybody out there, I mean, you've heard this show, right? I mean, so what are your thoughts about the accreditation process? Is it just another way for you to feel that, you know, they're trying to stick it to the man or is this something that really is going to make a difference in EMS? I contend this is going to make a difference in EMS because we keep saying when is this going to happen? What about, and how are we going to, and who's going to do it? Well, now things are starting to happen. And if we call EMS our profession, which we do right now, and maybe you don't want to be an EMT and a paramedic forever, but you're in the career field now. We've got to be able to be stewards of our career field and ensure that the career field is better than we left it when we started. So i like to know your comments, your questions, your concerns. Go ahead and email us at the show at ems1.com. For Kelly Grayson, I'm Chris Sabalera and Dr. George Hatch, and I look forward to chatting with everyone again real soon. Bye now.